Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you're new here today, uh, this is part two of a series, a two-part message that we're doing that we've entitled A Year of Favor. A Year of Favor. And last week, we began by looking at Luke chapter 2. We're going to go back there today, where we have recorded for us a story that's unique in all of the Bible and indeed the Gospels. Luke's the only Gospel writer that tells us this story, and it's the only record we have of events that tell us what it was like for Jesus when he was 12 years old. Um, outside of that, we know about his birth, we know about the start of his ministry, but we don't know anything about that period of time except what we have in Luke chapter two. One of the things it tells us is it tells us it was a time of favor where God's hand was upon him and increasing in favor. So this is a passage on favor. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The, the hand of God, the blessing of God, the favor of God was on Jesus. At the end of the passage, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. One of the things we know is when you're studying the Bible and you come to a, a passage and it starts with a statement and then it ends that passage with a similar statement, then you know that's what the passage is about. This passage starts with a statement about favor, ends with a statement about favor. So this is a passage on favor. Favor is something you want. More than you know, more than you could imagine. I think more than any of us could imagine. It's something the Bible talks about repeatedly. In fact, the word, it's, it appears 127 times in the English Standard Version. 120 some odd times different versions translated. It's, it's the word charis. We get, it could be translated grace. But oftentimes it's translated favor depending on the context of the verse. But the Bible says a great deal about favor. For example, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. This is Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary. She's pregnant with John the Baptist in her old age. She had given up being able to have children. All of a sudden she is pregnant. And she says, in these days, he has shown his favor. You see, favor can be God's miraculous power at work in your body. She conceives. That's favor. But watch this and take it away my disgrace. Do you realize favor can actually give you a turnaround? It can give you a divine comeback. It can change the direction, the trajectory of your life. Favor can, can be a complete reversal of the way things were going. Some of you need a reversal from 2021. You need God's favor and favor will do that. Psalm 90 and verse 17, the psalmist says, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. God, we want your favor. 
What happens when his favor is upon you? Establish the work of our hands for us. In other words, he recognizes that there is a supernatural dimension to our work. And when we have the favor of God on our life, it establishes that work. It solidifies that work. It stabilizes that work supernaturally in a way that's very beneficial. He's praying for that. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Don't let me waste my time doing things that have no effect or pour my time into something only to watch it crumble. When I have favor, it, it causes what I do to not only have significance, but have lasting significance. It's the benefit of favor. Proverbs 22 says this, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. Better than making $10 million next year or a billion dollars next year is favor. I'd rather have, you'd rather have the favor of the Lord than all the money in the world. Because when you have the favor, it not only touches you beneficially, powerfully, it touches people around you. It changes situations and circumstances. Favor. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now watch this. And the Lord added to their number daily, daily those who were being saved. Listen, when you have a favor of God on your life, it's going to give you a, a grace to share Christ with people. The favor of God. One of the greatest things we could have on the church is the favor of the Lord that we might be more effective than we've ever been in reaching the lost that you and I personally might be more effective in personal evangelism, sharing Christ, influencing people for Christ than ever before. That's what favor helps us do. Favor makes a massive difference in a person's life. Now, last week I gave you seven observations on favor, but we started really with what I would call a definition of favor so that we understand what favor is, how favor works, um, what favor accomplishes in our life. Let me give you a fourfold de definition here. Favor is the blessing of God on our life that increases our influence with God and with people. So God sets his hand on us, but when he sets his hand on us, it not only affects our relationships with others, it, reflects our, it affects our relationship with God so that we're able in a very real way to interact with God in a way that brings about his will in the lives of people that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Now that, that sounds a bit complicated, but let me give you a story that would indicate that. So you have Abraham and he's with the Lord in Genesis chapter 19. And the Lord says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He tells Abraham that. So the favor of God is on Abraham. And Abraham says to the Lord, he says, wait just a minute. What if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? For the sake of the 50, would you spare the cities? You know what's happening here? This is an example of the power of prayer to affect the actions and the decisions of the Lord for the benefit of others. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking, well, if God wants to do it, he's just going to do it. Or to think that somehow you and I can't, in, in true prayer, with the favor of God on us, go to God for the benefit of other people. 
God says, okay, for the sake of 50, you ask for the sake of 50. Then Abraham begins to talk to him about, hey, well, what if there's, what if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And God says, if there's 10 righteous people, I won't destroy the city. How does that happen? It happens because Abraham has the favor of God and is able to pray in a way that brings about a, a will of God in that situation that wouldn't have happened otherwise. When you and I have a favor of God, we can pray powerful prayers that change the environment or the experience of people around us. Favor. And then there's favor with people. When you and I have favor with people, what happens is people, uh, they listen to us. In fact, you can have favor with people and they not even like you. I mean, that's a very interesting reality where they respect you. They don't necessarily like you. They respect you and they listen to you because they recognize there's something about your life that has a presence on it. They may not know what it is, but it's the favor of God. Or favor can cause people who may not normally like you to like you. The favor of God. Number two, favor results in unusual success or effectiveness. Here's the way it works. So when a person has favor on their life, there are some things that will work for them that won't work for the person next to them. They could do the exact same thing in the exact same way and it's not gonna turn out. Favor is that supernatural ingredient that brings about an effectiveness and a success that you will not have otherwise. How many want more than just the best you can do? I don't just want the best I can do. I want the best that God can do through me. I want the best that God can do for me. I want the best that God can do without me even. I'll take whatever his best is, any way, any shape, any form. That's favor. It's an effectiveness that carries you beyond yourself. Number three, favor affirms the things we do. It's where God affirms the things we do by his presence upon us. Remember we read in the Psalms, let your hand be upon us, establish the work of our hands. So that what happens when a person has favor, you can sense the presence of God on their life. You can just tell the Lord is with them. You, you, you see people at times and you say, you know what? I know them and they're, they're gifted, they're talented, but they're not that gifted and talented, right? The hand of God is on them. You watch them do things and you're scratching your head. You're saying, you know what? Listen, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't make sense that they would have that kind of response, that kind of effectiveness, that kind, but, but God is with them. Or you, you are with them and when you're with them, you recognize the hand of the Lord is on their life. Been with somebody like that? Don't you love it when you're with somebody and after you're with them, you're just like, I need to go pray because I want to be with God because you sensed God so heavily on their life. A fourth aspect of favor. The favor is the blessing of God on our life that acts as a shield of protection. I know whether you've thought about that, but when a person has a favor, there are some things that won't happen to them that would happen to everybody else. Now listen, God loves everybody in this room. He loves everybody in this room the same. And God gives a measure of favor to everybody in this room, but not everybody has the same amount of favor on their life. Favor is the one thing that by our actions, we can increase Jesus grew in favor. 
There are certain things you and I can do that cultivate the favor of God in our life. And I'm telling you, as we start the new year, there are a few things you and I can give our time or attention to than to doing the things that would result, would result in God's favor on our life. It'd make a massive difference. It'll bring protection. Uh, for example, Psalm 5 and verse 12, for surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with the shield. Isn't that interesting? So his favor on you, his favor around you. So like, it's like you got this supernatural bubble wrap on you. And, and I mean, things that typically would take other people out, they're not going to take you out. It's the favor of, of God. And I, and I think God gives us the faith to understand that shield relative to our lives in different areas where he wants us to have a confidence. He protects us. All of us need favor. And I just feel strongly in my heart as a pastor that, that 2022 is a year of favor. I believe it's, I, I, you can see it last year, but I believe God wants to do more than we could ask or imagine. He wants to show his favor in the church and in your life. In Luke chapter four, we saw this Jesus speaking in Nazareth at the start of his ministry says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I believe that's what 2022 is for us. It's going to be a year of the Lord's favor on the church and a year of the Lord's favor on your life, that your life is going to be different in Jesus name, because you're going to set your heart on seeking him. You're going to increase in favor with God and with man. I love the way the message puts it, to announce this is God's year to act, right? This is God's year to, to show himself powerful in your life, in my life, in the church. So how do we position ourselves to increase in favor? Now, last time we looked at the uh, story in Luke chapter 2 from the vantage point of Mary and Joseph, and we saw that, number one, you gotta, you, you gotta get as close to Jesus as you can. Mary and Joseph lost sight of Jesus, and sometimes we can find ourselves more distant than we ought to be. But now, from Jesus' perspective, how does Jesus, what is it that we see in the passage? Because I think there are things that are clearly implied in the passage that are keys to cultivating favor, increasing in favor in our lives. Let's look at it, Luke chapter two, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. That means he got bigger, taller, stronger, and in favor with God and man. It's a very interesting thing. He's God, but he increases in favor with God. How are we to understand that? Well, I think it's it's, it would be as simply understood, and I'm not saying this is a comprehensive explanation, but is simply understood as the fact that though he is God, Philippians chapter two, Paul says this, he tells us he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, something to hang on to. But he set aside the privileges and the prerogatives of deity. So is he God? He's 100% God but he's operating as 100% man. So that all the miracles he does, he does with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do any miracles till the Holy Spirit comes on him. Once it's an open heaven over him, then he proceeds to do ministry, giving us an example of what spirit-filled ministry is like. You know, what you've seen me do, you'll do in greater things than these will you do, John chapter 14, verse 12. So here he is, He's functioning 
as a human and he's increasing in favor with God because of things he does as a human. And those same things are available to you and I. Again, leaving us an example, First Peter says that we should follow in his steps. Six things, just quickly. Number one, favor increases when we prioritize being in God's house. You've made a great choice. Being in church is a way to introduce God's favor in your life every single week this year. I, I believe in the sim symbolism of saying, I'm starting the year in God's house. I just believe in that. I believe in the symbolism of starting the week, of saying, first day of the week, I'm going to start the week in God's presence because what, what, what I do with the first determines what happens with the rest. He, he's in the house of God. Look at it. But why did you need to search? Verse 49, he asked his parents. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Uh, look at that. I must be. I have to be. It's, it's what I have to do. It's, it's not what I'm doing because I didn't have anything else to do. It's not what I'm doing because, you know what? I haven't done it in a long time and I feel like I should. It's not like, well, you know, every now and then I think it's good to do. He's not doing that. I have to be in God's house. Didn't you know that? You say, well, how would they know that? Because they've watched him as he's in Nazareth. He's at the synagogue. He's there all the time that he can be there. You say, how do you know that? Because he knows the word of God, forwards, backwards, upside down. I mean, he's learned it in the house of God. He's made this commitment to say, listen, it's not optional. It's essential. It's not something I do if I don't have anything else to do. It's not something I do randomly. It's not something I say, well, you know, I'm going to give God three out of four Sundays or two out of three Sundays or one out of two Sundays. It's not the way he thinks. It's not the way favor works. I want to be in the house of God anytime I can be in the house of God. It's not a have to. It's a want to. It's an understanding that when I'm in God's presence, presence, powerful things happen in my life. I believe it. I, I believe that when I'm in the presence of the Lord, it opens my heart to him. It opens my understanding of him. I believe when I'm in the presence of the Lord, when I've given him my time, he multiplies the time back to me. When I've given him my energy, he multiplies the energy back to me. When I've given him my resource, he multiplies it back to me. When I'm in his presence, he sets his presence on me. Because of that, I love being in the house of God. I just love being in. I mean, that's the idea. That's what scripture would teach, that, that he's in the house because he loves the house. In Psalms chapter 69 and verse 9, the psalmist writes, passion for your house has consumed me. You could say zeal for your house has consumed me, one translation says. The message says, I love you more than I can say. That verse was quoted in the gospel of John of Jesus. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. I love the house of God. Jesus was passionate about being in the house of God. He was passionate about being around other people who were serving God. Jesus loves the church. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He loves the church. 
He's passionate about the church. You want the favor of God on your life, get as passionate as you can possibly be about the church. People at times say, well, you know, I don't think you have to be in church to worship God. Listen, I'm, I'm going to say this. Can you worship God anywhere? Absolutely. We should worship him 24-7, right? But there's something unique and there's something powerful and there's something supernaturally significant that happens when I say I'm going to be in the presence of God. I'm going to be here. Scripture supports that. I mean, listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The message says, when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leapt for joy. It's not a have to, it's a want to. It's not a, it's not a you need to be there, it's a I get to be there. I wanna be there, I wanna be in his presence. The psalmist David says this, I'm asking God for one thing and one thing only. One and only one thing in the original. What are you asking for, David? To live with him in his house my whole life. I want to get, what he's saying is, I want to get as close to God as I possibly can. And where does that start for him? At the house of God. You see, some people make the mistake of thinking they get as close as they can to God on their own doing what they do by themselves. Hey, there's a place for that, but not at the expense of the house of God, not as a replacement for the house of God. And there, there is a biblical priority in the gathering of people together to worship God. And when you do that, you're gonna experience favor. I mean, listen to Psalm 26. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. L listen, God, can God meet you in the place where you have your private devotions? Yes. Does he meet you in the same way that he meets you here when we're together as a body of believers? No. It's different. It's different because he's doing something in the body that is different than he's doing both. You need both. I'm not saying that you only need one or the other. You need both. But in our individualistic approach to religion in our Western culture, uh, the fact of the matter is we ignore community at our own peril. And the whole idea of prayer is based on the community of believers. Our Father, not my Father. Give us this day our daily bread, not God give me what I need. It's the community operating as a community, working together, praying together as a community, praying for one another, recognizing that in taking care of other people's business, God takes care of our business recognizing the favor of the Lord. In Acts chapter two, watch this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, every day. So, hey, you know what? They gave seven days, you only given two. Bingo, you got five days free. But what I'm, what I'm trying to help you see is there's a favor that came on their life because they were in the presence of the God. God, the more they were in the presence of the Lord, the more they saw God do. The more you're in church, the more you'll see God do in your life. Listen, I would just say this, and I think there's in our, our society, in Christian society, there is a counterproductive family emphasis. So this idea that somehow I, I have to cut church or not be in church as much because I want to be with my family. I think you should be with your family, but how about you cut the hobbies? How about you cut the TV? How about you cut some other things that, and then don't cut church? Because here's the thing, you want to raise your kids. What, what your prayer should be as a parent for your children is they grow up to love God with all their heart, and they grow up to be committed to the church. 
But if you want them to be committed to the church as an adult, they have to be, they have to see that example in your life as a child. One of the things Debbie and I purposed in our life was we were going to teach our kids to love going to church and to love the house of God and to be in church. I think we didn't care what they did vocationally. It didn't have to do with being a preacher. We weren't raising preachers. We were raising lovers of God. And when, when, when people love God, they love what he loves and he loves the church. So every day they're in the church. And then Hebrews chapter 10, it just simply says, let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. The closer we get to the coming of Christ, we don't need less church. We need more church. Jesus was a lover of the house of God. And the result was it resulted in him growing in favor. Amen. Number two, favor increases when we put God before religious tradition. Look at it, verse 43, when the feast was ended, they were returning, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, I won't take a long time with this, but one of the things that can happen to people is they get caught up in family religious traditions and they become more beholding to those than they are to the word of God. So like, you know, well, you talk to them, you say, hey, have you, have you, you know, have you got, get baptized? Well, you know, I don't, I really don't, you know, we, we did this, we baptized as an infant which isn't a biblical form of baptism. I mean, hey, I, I realized I was baptized as an infant. I can remember when I told my Presbyterian father who was not serving the Lord, was not saved, I'm gonna get baptized. It was not a comfortable conversation. And I'm gonna get baptized. Why? You already have been. Well, not really. So, you know, and so that's a, that's a hard conversation when you're talking to somebody who doesn't, isn't really dialed into the word of God. But I can tell you this, when I did it, it made a massive difference in my life. I didn't understand anything about open heaven, but I can look back now and say, it opened heaven over my life. There's a power in getting baptized. For some of you, it's, it, it comes down to what you're willing to, or to do or not do in church. And, and, and what can happen so easily is we can default to how we were raised or what makes us comfortable instead of what the Bible says. The Bible says, lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. I mean, that's in the Bible. And so, or, so then the question is, you say, well, I'm not from a background where they, where they do that. That doesn't matter. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what your background is. Hey, praise God. If you're from that background, great. If you weren't, great. But the issue is, here's what the Bible says. Are you going to do that? And when you do that, when you say, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow family tradition. I'm going to follow the word of God. There is a favor of God that comes on your life that money can't buy that's more wonderful than you can imagine. For some of you, the, the breakthrough to favor this year is going to be saying, I'm going to let go of my desire to be comfortable. Some of you, your desire to be comfort, comfortable is more important to you than your desire to be obedient. And when you say, listen, if it's in the Bible, I'm about it, you will experience the favor of God on your life in such a powerful uh, way. You will experience, I believe, almost instantly you'll see it happen. Because I've, I've, I've talked to so many people who say, you know, I took that step, and when I did, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Favor. Number three, favor increases when we know God's word. This is so huge. Look at it, verse 46. 
After three days, they found him in the temple. So here he is, he's 12 years old. Jesus is in the temple. He's sitting among the teachers. So he's sitting among the, the elite Bible scholars of his day. And watch what happens. He was listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. That's another way of saying he knew, his, he knew his Bible. How does he know his Bible? Did God just zap him and say, well, you're the son of God, so you got to know this thing. So boom, right there, you got it. No, he learned it because he was at the synagogue. He was at the synagogue. He was hearing the word of God. He was asking questions about the word of God. He was learning the word of God. He was, he was embracing it with all that was within him. Listen, his family didn't see anything different about him. I mean, you know, his brothers didn't. He seemed like a normal person. He was a human being in every way, but he loved the word of God. He listened to it. He read it. He studied it. He discussed it. He met meditated on it, and he lived it, and he had favor. Here's the way the Word of God works relative to favor in our lives. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, study this book of instruction, the Bible, the law, continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. That's, that's favor. This is how powerful the Word of God is. You, you, if you don't read the Bible, you're missing out on the favor that would have been yours. I'm not saying you have to read the whole Bible. I think there's a lot of people who could. There are some people that do. There, I know people in the church who read the Bible through five times a year. It's amazing. That's good. I, I don't think everybody has to do that. I don't think everybody has to read the Bible through in a year, though I think people, many people could. You could do it, and if you read 10 to 15 minutes a day, you'll read the Bible through in a year. Get the one-year Bible and just do it, if, that's, if that is what God calls you to do. The issue is not how much of it you read. The issue is that you daily read or close to daily. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to get legalistic where you're like beating yourself up and feeling guilty and, uh, because you didn't read your Bible that day. I'm talking about the general trend and pattern of your life is you're saying, every day I want to read the Word of God. Every day I want to get the Word of God in me so that it can change me, so it can transform me, so I can grow in favor. Now let me, let me explain to you because I, I think I think sometimes people think, well, if I read the Word of God, that's, that's enough. But, but there's a process that happens. There's things that happen in our life, and there's kind of a continuum I want you to see. The process of favor in relation to the Word of God. First of all, you get information. So you, you hear the Word of God read, you read the Word of God, now you've got information. You can have information and not understand it. So just hearing the Word of God can begin to shape. It's step one. I'm not saying it's without value. It's just too many people stop here. So praise God if you hear, hear it. Praise God if you get the information. But you really want to move to step two, which is instruction. So now what happens is knowledge is imparted as the Word of God is explained. So what happens is now you've gotten the information, somebody's explaining it to you, so now you kind of understand a little bit about, okay, this is what it is saying. Are we together on that? Yeah. 
Number three, illumination. Now all of a sudden the light comes on. So I've gotten the information. I've gotten the instruction. Now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit starts working with that word and begins to illuminate. And it's like, oh, that's a big deal. Never thought that was a big deal. That's a big deal. I never understood reading the Bible could increase favor in my life. But all of a sudden, you're getting illumination. And then, number four, revelation. Because what revelation does, illumination, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and make it big to you. Now, with a revelation, you begin to, the Holy Spirit begins to work on you and say, how are you going to apply this to your life? James says, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers, right? So revelation, suddenly you begin to personalize it. It becomes real enough to you to say, I'm going to act on that. I'm going to make this thing work in my life. Number five, meditation. Now all of a sudden you're, you're beginning, you feel like it's for you. You feel like it's a word for you. And now all of a sudden you're going to begin to think on it. You're going to begin to meditate on it. You're going to begin to roll it. You're going to begin to feed on it because you realize this is God's word for you. Let me, let me tell you something to make a big difference in your life spiritually. When you feel a grace on a principle of scripture relative to your own life, write it down and think about it. Write it down and process it. Write it down and, and don't move on too quickly from it. Let the word of God dwell in you. Let, it, let that live in you. Let it become more real to you. Let it feed your spirit. Let it strengthen. Because if God has put his hand on a principle of scripture that impacts you, it's because God wants to develop you through it. He wants to strengthen you through it. That's what meditation will do. Number six, transformation. As you begin to meditate, and then what happens is now you realize this is for me. You've thought about it. It's become very real to you. It's feeding you. And what happens is change begins to happen. You begin to do that in your life. You begin to, that begins to become a part of your life. And as that begins to become a part of your life, number seven, then you have manifestation. And suddenly there's a favor that begins to be demonstrated in your life because you took time to read the word of God, right? This is, it. this is how the Word of God, so it's not enough just to hear a sermon. You want to make sure that the Word of God gets in you, that it goes through that process of becoming real to you, that it might change you, that you might walk in favor. Now, I'm not trying to make it too complicated. I'm simply trying to give you a little more of an in-depth, this is how this thing works in your life, practically speaking. All that being said, let me make it really simple. Make a commitment in 2022 that you'll read the Bible. You say, oh, I wouldn't even know where to start. There's a little app called the Version, and it is an amazing app. I use it every day of the week. I use it multiple times during the day. It's the Bible I carry on my phone. It's the Bible I have on my iPad. I read out of a Bible, but I also read it. And so it is fantastic. All kinds of Bible reading plans. You pick the plan, several plans. It will even remind you if you want it to, hey, did you remember to read your word today? Or hey, way to go, you read your word. Don't forget tomorrow, and it will, it will give you little little reminders that will help you, but get in the word and get the word in you and watch God's favor come upon you. Change your life. Number four, favor increases when we increase in wisdom. When you and I increase in wisdom, favor will increase in our life. What is wisdom? I would define wisdom as the practical application of biblical principles to daily life. In other words, you're taking 
biblical wisdom and you're living it out in your life. When you do that, you're living a wise life. Luke 2.40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And after he's filled with wisdom, the favor of God's on him. Fill your life with wisdom and watch the favor of God come on your life. He gained wisdom. Listen, you and I, the most important thing we can do is to get wisdom in our life. You say, how do I get wisdom? What do I need to do? Let me give you three quick things. Number one, pray for wisdom. Now, this is, this is probably the most simple thing that, that you could ever, I mean, wisdom is the great, one of the greatest things you can have. Very easy to get it. It's very easy to get it. You ask God to give it to you. God, I want to be wise. God, today, help me to be wise. Boom. He answers that prayer. I can remember when, when I was, um, Debbie and I were first married, I was sitting in a Sunday school class. They were talking about wisdom. They were talking about the value of wisdom, how important wisdom was. And I was so impressed by the value of wisdom. I said, you know what I'm going to do? Every day I'm going to ask God for wisdom. So I have like in my, if I'm, if I'm going to do a grid of how I pray for people, I've got things I'm thanking the Lord for, and I've got things the church needs, and then there's a whole list of people that I'm praying for. And then if I have time, I get to myself. But even if I don't get to my whole list for myself, I always do the first thing on the list for myself. And do you know what it is? God, I got to have wisdom today. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not creative enough. God, I have to have wisdom. I don't know what the day holds, but the last thing I want to do is make stupid mistakes because I didn't have your wisdom. I wasn't walking in your wisdom. I also view wisdom as a listening ear, so God, give me a listening ear. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to hear your prompting. So when I'm in places wherever I'm at, Lord, speak to me. Do you know what? He answers that. Why? Because his word says he will. Look at it. James chapter 1, verse 5. You need, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. You know what's implied? If you need wisdom, you will get a generous amount. God will be like, oh, they want wisdom. Yay, I'm not going to give them a little bit. I'm going to give them a lot. Pray, and it will be given to you. Number two, get in a life group so you are around wise people. Now, you know what? I put this in my notes long before I saw the little seat card that you have on life groups. I just believe in doing life with wise people. That Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 says it this way, walk with the wise and become wise. That is true. You become like the people you hang out with. Who are you hanging out with? Are they wise? If not, Hang out less with them, hang out more with wise people, right? The advantage to life group is you're around people who are loving God, wanting to serve God, that's wise. You're around people who are gonna pray for you, that's wise. Get around people who pray for you. Get around people who care for you. Get around people who know more than you do. That's really wise. Get around people when you're parenting. I, I hung out with people who were ahead of me, who had kids older than me. I would listen to them. I would ask them questions. I figured, you know what? If I saw somebody whose kids were turning out pretty good, then I wanted to know what they did. Because that does not happen by accident. Kids turn out good. It's because somebody, the grace of God, and some parent was listening to God. 
Some of the advice I got from people in that situation shaped my parenting. Get around wise people. Number three, when facing a decision, ask wise people questions. Listen, some, sometimes people are like, well, I don't, want, I don't want them to think I'm stupid. Listen, the only stupid question is the one you never asked. You've heard your instructor say that in school. It's true, true, true. If you don't know the answer, ask. If you think you know the answer and you're not sure, ask. If you're going to do something, before you do it, find somebody who's done it successfully and ask. Find more than one person and ask. I'm an, if you're around me, I'm an incurable question asker. So I ask questions all the time. When I was in college, we worked at a funeral home and uh, lived upstairs, and, which was really quite the trip. And, and, um, but I wasn't going to be a funeral director. But I asked questions all the time. I'd be like, why do you do this? Why do you do that? One time, I was, sitting, I was asking questions. Like, it was three funeral directors. Like, do you ever stop asking questions? I said, not if I can help it. It's the only way I'm going to learn. They're like, well, you don't even want to be a funeral director. I don't care. I want to know. I want to know. So when you ask questions you get answers. Some of you, if you're not careful, will in pride think, well, I ought to know, or I should know, or I think I know. You're not going to ask questions. You're going to make a big mistake. But if you ask, you're going to have wisdom, and there's going to be favor on your life. Number five, favor increases when we humbly submit to authority. This is a big one. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And he went down with them, that's Mary and Joseph, came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. It's a very interesting statement. He's 12 years old. I want you to think about this. His ministry will start when he's 30. In Jewish society, at about age 14, he's considered a man. So for the next 18 years, 16 of which he's considered an adult, he's submitting to his parents. He's God, they're not. He's submitting to his parents. I, I venture to say that by the time he's in his 20s, hands down, he knows more than they ever thought of knowing. Because he's perfect, he's never made a mistake, he's not having to overcome things, the poor decisions and all the things people let in their heart that convolute their, he, he is, but he submits to them. Listen, I would just say this, children submit to your parents. Now listen, you say, well, what if they're not godly? Well, then that creates some, some issues. You need to honor them. If they're asking you to do something that dishonors the Lord, can't do that. But outside of that, an attitude of submission. Listen, I, I would just say this. Submitting to authority is so valuable. And all of us, nobody, nobody's ever safe if, if they're in a place where they're not accountable to anybody. So, for example, in, in our situation with, you know, and here's the value of listening to authority and accepting authority. In our, in our um, governance, in our polity, uh, we're part of the Assemblies of God, and there's a district, uh, every, everything south of the Missouri River in the state of Missouri is called the Southern Missouri District. There's a person who's over it. There are district superintendent. I consider myself spiritually accountable to them. I consider myself accountable to them in the decisions that we make. So for example, 
Uh, and, and here's where it breaks down for a lot of people. A lot of people say, well, I'll submit to you as long as I agree with you, but as soon as you tell me something I don't agree with, I'm not submitting to you. Then guess what? You were never submitting in the first place. You're just fooling yourself. Because if you only submit to people you agree with, then you never really submitted to them. But God places people in authority over us for our protection and for, here, here's the fact, you don't know all of God's will for your life. You say, well, I'm living my life and I'm praying about it. I should know. Well, you should. There's a certain amount you can know, but there's a certain amount where all of us are dependent upon other people for understanding the will of God in our life. You see this principle in the Old Testament. I don't have time to talk about it, but listen to God's word and the prophets. There are people who God will raise up to speak prophetically in our life, and often that's the person in authority over us. So let me give you some examples here. So 1993, the, we're in the little blue building. It's not blue anymore, but uh, where the Evangelical Free Church is, there's two buildings. The little one, we built that. It was our first place. Right away, we grow. The, the church is running probably 1,000 people within a, a year and a half of moving into it, and we're busting at the seams. We're not knowing what to do, um, and so I get the idea that we'll, you know, we'll start a perimeter church. So I go to the district and I say, hey, I got an idea. You know, we, we're running out of room. I'd like to start a perimeter church. They said, what's that? I said, well, it it's, would be kind of like James River, north, south, east, and west. You're like, what? You're like, like James River? Yeah, James River. You're not planting a church. No, I'm planting James River. And they were like, uh, this is what they said, literally. That will never happen in a million years. And I said, why? They said, well, you've caused so much trouble. You know, the way the church grew, everybody was kind of like upset at us and upset at them. And so they were like, you know what? We don't need any more problems. That's not happening. So what did I do? We didn't do it. They said, no, didn't do it. You say, did that bother you? Not really. I, I, believe, it. I believe in authority. I, I do. I accept it as, hey, if they're over me and the Lord and they say, no, then it's not meant to be right now at least. You see what happens? Sometimes God puts things in our heart that are not for today. They're for years away. But if we don't have somebody else speaking to us, we'll act on something that is really from God that's in our heart, but in the wrong time at the wrong place, and we'll really mess up God's will for our life. So 1995, we've built the big building. It's booming. We're now running close to 25, 2,800 people. And I get the idea, because we can't expand there. I get the idea of, here's what I'm going to do. I will, and I'm praying about this. I'm, I go to the district, meet the district superintendent um, at Olive Garden. So we're going to have a spiritual uh, convo at Olive Garden. And so I just say, hey, I've been praying about something. I want to get your take on it. Um, at this point, James River Expressway does not go past battle or past Kansas Expressway. It's just the earthworks done, but no road out there. I said, you know, we're out of room. County won't let us expand. Been praying about it. So I'd like your permission. I'd like to take half of the people and I'm going to go over at the corner of FF and what's going to be 60 highway. That's going to be someday a busy interchange. I would like to have a church there. I'll just go start a church over there. We'll buy land and do that. And the superintendent says, well, can I pray about it? I was like, sure. You know, and I'm thinking, hey, great. He prays, I pray. We're together. It's golden because I've heard from God. So anyway, <laughs> he comes back and he says to me, he says, you know, I prayed about it, John, and um, I'm not going to let you do that. And I said, well, why not? He said, because, you know, as I pray about it, I just, it's in my heart that Springfield would have a mega church. 
and I think God's will is for you to build a mega church in Springfield. Do you know what my response was? Do you know how hard that would be? <laughs> I mean, do you realize this is not Dallas? This is not, I said it to him, this is not Dallas, it's not Chicago. I mean, I don't know where you'd get the money. I don't know, I don't know how you'd have the people. I, don't, I, I can't even see that. And he said, you know what, John, if it's God's will, my experience has been he'll provide all those other things, but I believe that's the will of God for you. Based on that decision, we bought this land. You see, sometimes now what's happened was the West Campus, was that location, was I hearing from God? Yes, but I was hearing from God 15 years before that would be a reality for that campus. Was a multi-site that covered Springfield in God's heart for this church? Yes, but I was hearing about that 20 years before God was ever ready to do. Listen, do you see when you submit to the Lord and you submit to authority, there's no authority except has been established by God. Paul says that in Romans. Some people miss out on God's favor because they won't listen to spiritual authority. Some people miss out on God's favor because they won't honor secular authority. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to close here in a moment. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's put it in our honor all people, love people, the people you're going to church with, Christians, Fear God, honor the president of the United States. You say, well, I didn't, I didn't vote for him. That's, sorry, honor him. Listen, this is the thing that concerns me in the church. And it, it's what happens when church people dishonor those elected officials in authority over us, you forfeit favor on your life. I, I, I don't make it up. I don't write it. I just explain it, right? Look at this. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Goes on and says, for this finds favor with God. You, we need to pray for those in authority. We need to honor. We don't, that doesn't mean you have to agree with them. But I, I, I do think there's a value in being people who, who honor our president, honor our governor, honor our senators, honor our representatives, honor people, elected officials, and pray for them. They need God's help. And, and if you don't agree with them, then they need twice as much prayer. And your prayer can make a difference in their life. Well, number six, and we're done. We're going to have the musicians come up. Favors increased when we pray. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We know he prayed. He increased in favor because he prayed. Again, you read in Luke chapter 6, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. He had a lot of favor. In fact, the disciples understood, Lord, teach us how to pray. They understood that was the source of what was happening in his life. He prayed, and as a result of praying, he had favor. Listen, when you and I are in the presence of the Lord, powerful things will happen in our life. And if you want the hand of God on you, be in the presence of God, be in church, but spend time praying. I'll tell you what, as I look at the first of this year, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. This is a year of God's favor. This is God's year to act. This is God's year to do powerful things. And as you and I commit ourselves to the things we've talked about, loving God's house, being more committed to his word than we are to comfort or family tradition. 
being a person who knows the Word of God, who loves the Word of God, being a person who, who pursues wisdom, being a person who submits to authority, being a person who prays. These are the things that cause an increase in God's favor. And I'm telling you, nothing is more important than the favor of God on your life. And I believe God wants to pour his favor out on you. And he's simply challenging all of us to say, here's areas of your life where if you'll give attention to this, you'll see my favor in ways you never imagined. Amen.